So what's in your wallet? <laughs> now I want you to relax just a moment. I don't want you to worry because we've already taken the offering. I'm not planning on passing the plate again. That uh, is a tagline from a commercial that you've no doubt heard on television for Capital One credit card, and I think you probably recognize it, whether you've heard it spoken by Samuel L. Jackson or by a horde of Vikings. And what that bank is trying to do in those commercials, uh, using that line to help you to remember who they are, is to convince you that they're card, their credit card is better. Specifically, they want you to think that their card has the better rewards. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know that an awful lot of stuff has been sold to people in the world because they've believed the hype. Now, maybe you don't know whether it's true or not either, but you might be thinking about getting a new card, and you could find out if it's true. You could find out by getting one of those cards yourself, and you could see for yourself. Or you could ask people. If you knew 30 people who had that particular credit card, and all those people, all 30 of them said to you, yes, it, it's a better card than any other credit card I'd ever had, then you'd probably go through the, uh, the uh, work that you would have to do to get it. And if, on the other hand, they all said, oh, I've had nothing but problems with that company, you wouldn't bother. And uh, if they said, it's really no different than any other card I've had, you, again, probably wouldn't go to the trouble of getting or changing your card. You see, you could make your decision based on the testimony of those 30 people, especially if it's consistent. And you can be pretty confident then of making the right choice. Well, there's a passage in the Bible that represents this kind of consistent testimony. Actually, there's lots of them in the Bible, but we're going to look at just one this morning. And actually, it's the Bible memory verse for VBS, and it's really a wonderful passage of Scripture. It's a, it's a kind of a passage that even young kids begin to grasp and understand, and yet there's kind of a lot of meat on it, even for adults. And that passage is 1 John 4.16, and if you have your Bibles and want to join me there, you can, or of course it'll be put up on the screen on either side of me. 1 John chapter 4.16, this is the Bible memory verse for VBS this year. And it begins this way. I, I, I want to read it to you. It begins this way. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. And we're going to stop right there. See, that we know, that, that word know in the Greek is really kind of an interesting word. It, it, it has the idea of, of being acquainted with or or getting to know someone, having getting to know someone or something really by experience. And so maybe some of you are here for the first time and you don't know me at all and you're thinking these poor people have to look at him every week. <laughs> I have to tell you, it's not quite so bad. They can always close their eyes if they want to. But, but maybe, although you don't know me, after the service we might get a chance to talk a little bit and, and then maybe you come to the picnic and we get to talk a little more and maybe kind of hit it off so we invite you over to our house for dinner. Maybe you take me for a ride on your boat sometime. And, and through all of that, you know, uh, you, you might get 
to know me a little bit and get acquainted with me somewhat. I hope you'd think at the end of that time, they'd say, hey, might be kind of hard to look at, but he's not a bad sort, you know? Well, that's what's going on here. It's a process. It's, it's to come to know something by experience. And, and that's what's going on here. You see, to know God's love by experience. That's what he's saying. We have come to know God's love and to rely on it. But just who are they? Uh, I mean, the text says we know God's love. Who are the we? Well, of course, John's certainly referring to himself, right, and to the other apostles and disciples. He's referring to those who who walked with Jesus and, and talked with him, who actually touched him and, and, and walked those uh, dirt roads with him and spent time with him. They, they is who he means. But also it includes the people that he was writing to. See, see they too, those people that John was writing to in this, uh, in this letter, also knew that love of God. And he's reminding them of that. But this is God's word, and so it's written to God's people down through the ages. And that's the consistent testimony of Christians from the very beginning all the way into our day. Down through the ages, we have experienced the love of God and we rely on it. Whether it was in the days of the apostles or when Christians were being fed to the lions or in our day in the Middle East when Christians are being persecuted and killed for their faith or in our own day here in our nation days of relative peace the we is all of us who have come to know God's love and to rely on it that is our testimony and if I were to take a a big poster and put it up on the front here of the church and wrote in a great big letters the word we and I were to say Whoever identifies with that, whoever fits that, that we who knows the love of God and relies on it, I think most people in this room would go up and put their name. That's the testimony of not only ourselves, but of God's word itself, that we can know his love and we can rely on it. Now, I want to come back to this idea in a little bit, but first I, I want to look at a little bit more of the passage. And, and the very next sentence in the passage reads this way. God is love. He says it also in verse 8, but he says God is love. And, you know, we desperately need to hear that, not just us here in this room, but the world needs to hear it. You see, the world is absolutely sick with sin. And the antidote for that is this truth, that God is love. And the word is going out throughout our world. It's going out in this nation and across this nation, and it's going out to all the four corners of the world. And, and, and we're going to have to have just kind of a short example uh, of this because of the time. But I want you to know, if you don't already know, and most of you may not, that Muslims are hearing the world. You, you may not be re- aware of it because it's not being reported in the news media. See, it's not part of the agenda that they're pushing. But Muslims are hearing the word of God, and they are responding to it. In Iran, the mosques are almost empty. The fastest-growing church in the world today is in Iran. One man, t- a couple weeks ago, we had Brother John who, who spoke here. 
he was a, a, an unannounced guest speaker at a conference in Annapolis, and we were able to get him to come and speak. We couldn't record it. We couldn't take pictures because his life is in danger. His brother has planted 19 churches in Iran where people who put their faith in Christ face the death penalty. The experts in this area who study these things say that in not many years from now, Iran will be a Christian nation. The leaders will still be radical Muslims, but most of the population is turning to Christ. In the Middle East, 60% of the educated uh, people after the so-called Arab Spring, and they do not refer to it as an Arab Spring. They, they look at that as a disastrous time. But after seeing the atrocities that were committed then, they're asking, who is this God that they've been worshiping? And they're turning from Islam. I mean, scores. They're posting on Facebook by the millions. And they're saying, we no longer follow Allah. They're not necessarily turning to Christ because in that world they associate Christianity with Hollywood. But when they hear that God is love, they respond and they turn to him. You know, we need to hear it too in our own nation. So many people just don't know who God really is. Too many have have believed the caricatures painted by the God-haters who who occupy places of importance in our country. They need to hear that God is love. They've heard that he's holy and just and righteous, but they don't really know what those words mean. And when they hear them, they they think something different. When they hear holy, they've been taught to think holier than thou. That, That beautiful word, holy, has been corrupted. And people picture someone in their minds who who looks down on others, who who thinks that they're better than themselves, instead of of what it really means. Probably in our culture, the best word that we can use to try to help people understand what holy is, is the word good. And you have to say it the right way. You say, God is good. That's what it means for him to be holy. He's good. And when they hear that word just, they think of something cold and hard as steel instead of something that's warm and caring, which desires to see the right thing done and so rewards and punishes in order to teach and instruct and ultimately must be true to itself in the final act of judging the world. And righteousness means to them self-righteous, which is a mockery of that truly humble thing. You know, A righteous person thinks of everybody else and not themselves because at the heart of righteousness is this desire to be right with God and to be right with other people. And those terms, they don't communicate once they once did, having been twisted by twisted society. So we need to hear that. We need to hear in this culture, in this country, that God is love. Not that we can't twist that. People turn it around. They say love is God. And, and so they worship any foolish thing that they become enamored with. And many people simply fall into that same trap when they put something less than God in the place of God. But that statement that God is love is not quite so easily perverted. God's holiness, his justice, 
his righteousness overshadow that whole sentence and and when we hear it and read it and think of it in those terms we understand what it means we think of a mother who would give her life for a daughter a, a husband who would give his life for his wife a serviceman or woman who would give their lives for one of their friends I suppose that even that message that God is love will be harder to hear when the love of many grow cold but it is not too late yet people need to hear it and there is power in the word of God whether they listen or not though our testimony will be what it has always been we have experienced God's love and we know it and we rely on it because God is love now there's one more sentence in this passage and it really is uh, in three parts and and so we read whoever lives in love that's the first part lives in God that's the second part and the third part is and God in them whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them and those three parts really go together and this is how they fit together you see only those people who live in God and God in them can live in love did you get that only those people who live in God and who have God living in them can live in love you see we don't get God to live in us we can't go and live in him because we live in love it's the other way around the ability is not in us to live in love try as we might we fail and without God we really don't try very often or very hard and the truth is is our motives even when we try or if we try are shot through with sin it's God living in us and we living in him that enables us to live in God not, not that we do it perfectly I mean we fail all the time but with God we can do it and we can do it more and more consistently as we walk with him through this life you see that is a consistent testimony of the followers of Jesus Christ down through the centuries and it has sometimes and often been signed with their blood a couple more things to say about this brings us back to um, maybe the beginning before that though I, I just want you to see that that term living in God is uh, is interesting in itself you see many people have heard the Christian claim that God lives in them but living in God is something that even many believers probably haven't thought much about you see we live in God that is we remain in him we abide in him we we dwell in him he's our home it's an intriguing thought it is as 
And again, we think about the Holy Spirit living in us, but we live in God, and, and that's different. It's kind of like the picture of a fish living in an ocean or a bird flying in the air that might give us some insight. You see, God is greater than we are. He's expansive, and we're diminutive and defined. He's the medium which supports us, which makes life possible. And yet, as with a fish in wa- uh, um, water or a bird in air, God is our natural habitat. We are made just for this very thing. And without him, the truth is, is we're like fish out of water or a bird without air. Now, often people have fought. I've read story after story. I've talked with people who, if this is true, they have fought against what God wanted for them. They have resisted him. They thought that life would be so much better if they didn't have to bother with God. And when they finally give up and they finally come to him, they feel like, I have come home. This is where I belong. So we live in God. It's our natural habitat. And he lives in us. And that's a different statement that we just looked at. I mean, we're not greater than he is. We're not expansive. We don't support him. He is, after all, God. But we might say that it's natural for him to live in us, meaning that he made us he designed us just that way. And when he breathed that breath of life into the first man, he indeed was putting his spirit in him. That God lives in us means that he loves us. He's at home in us, even while he's still cleaning us up and making us fit for his kingdom. All because of what Christ has done for us. We can have this intimate relationship with God though we are still far from what we should and will be. So that's a consistent testimony of Christians down through the centuries. It's what it has always been is that we've experienced God's love and we know it and we rely on it because God is love and because he is, we can live in love and only because God lives in us and and we in him. Which really does now bring us back to that first part of the verse. And there are two things to say about it, and then we'll be finished. The first is, is that this love that we have come to know and experienced is that love that God has for us. You know, it's not a general love of all things. It's, it's personal. It's not impersonal. It's specific, and it's targeted. It is aimed at every individual human being. In fact, it is true, and maybe you've heard Christians say it, but it is true that if you, any one of you, or if I were the only person who had ever sinned, Jesus Christ would have still come and died just for you or just for me. That's how personal it is. That's how Paul, that's why Paul could say, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's that personal. And second, we rely on God, not on anything else. We don't rely on baptism. You know, if you haven't known God, if you haven't put your faith in him and you get baptized, all you have done is get wet. We don't rely on church membership. You have be a member of a church, it might give you a vote in that church, it might get your name put on the registry, but it does not get you a place in heaven. Doing good deeds, 
And you simply can't do enough of them. You cannot build a ladder big enough to get you to heaven with all of your good deeds. And all of them together cannot undo even one of your sins. Being nice, I I hate to tell you, as nice as you may be, that won't get you into heaven either. You're not nice enough. Hoping your good works outweigh your bad ones of futile hope. They don't. There aren't even any scales that they're measured on. Because there's only one thing that we can rely on. Only one thing. And that is God and his love. And we can put it this way. Where do you live? (laughs) Do you live in love? Not that we do it perfectly. Maybe you've even wandered away. But have you lived in love? Can you? Do you want to? Does God live in you? Do you want him to? Have you ever asked him? God's love is real. That was the last thing that our kids learned on Friday night. God's love is for real. If only you'll accept it. He declared his love for you by sending his son to die in your place on that cross to pay for your sins so that you could live with God forever. You can add nothing to that, but you can receive it. You can know it, and it will change you. And when it does, you too will find that you are finally at home, finally where you belong, where God wants you to be. And then you will add your voice to the testimony of all believers throughout all ages. We know and rely on God's Would you pray with me, please? Father, uh, thank you so very much for your goodness to us. Thank you that, once again, Lord, um, while we were running the wrong way and looking for everything in the world except for you, you were faithful and you sought us out and you drew us to yourself. And, Lord, we know you continue doing that in the world around us. Many people who have... uh, who have run from you, who didn't know you were there, somehow turned a corner and found that you were waiting. May many people, uh, Lord, do that again. May we have a part in that. And if there are any here, once again, Lord, who haven't put their faith in you, we lift them up and ask for your grace and your mercy to them and your blessing on them. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.